Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 173, and we're going to be interviewing Jordan. How are you doing today, Jordan? Doing great, Jim. Thanks All for right. asking. I'm excited to do this. How about you? I'm excited too. I'm not going to lie. I have the butterflies and I've had them all day long. (laughs) No, this is going to be fun. Promise. So first question, I always ask everybody this. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Okay, so I was born in Layton, Utah to Debbie and Sonny Rasmussen. Um, However, my father passed away six months before I was born in a car accident um and my mother was struggling to begin with um she lost a child at birth um, and she was an addict as well um when I was three uh, my mother lost guardianship of me and my brother I have an older brother um and we moved in with our grandparents um in Layton Utah and then from there we actually moved to Gardnerville Nevada which was a lot of fun for me my, um, my grandfather was a Freemason and a Grand Master at the Elks Lodge in uh, Virginia City Nevada which is a little bit outside of Carson City um so I am a West Coast girl um born and raised um so um moved in with my grandparents um I grew up with a lot of my cousins and my aunts and my uncles. Um, so the house was always really busy. Um, I had like two different sets of cousins that would come and stay off and on with me and my brother. Uh, my two aunts were there consistently. They're like sisters to me now. And I love them to death. But growing up was not easy. Um, I kind of always felt like the oddball out. Um, my grandma was pretty strict um Christian based but some things um that I'm dealing with now like I've forgiven her for but um my grandfather was like my father he raised me up until I was 12 so in between 3 and 12 um there's a lot of family stuff that happened and went on um family holidays were always a really big thing um the house was always lit up and the big tall Christmas tree and presents all around and plus we did our charity work for the lodge that my grandfather was a part of um but there was a lot of abuse and neglect involved in that um when my grandfather would go out of town um but you know it happens um who abused you you when your grandfather was out of town my grandmother um there um she used to use religion on me um but like I said that's something I've forgiven her and myself for um I'll talk about that a little bit later but um so when I was 12 my brother was already drinking and experimenting with some drugs and uh my grandmother couldn't handle him anymore And so my aunt and uncle in Arizona took custody of him or guardianship of him. And I was asked on my 13th birthday if I wanted to stay with my grandmother or move with my aunt and uncle to Arizona. And again, this is when my grandfather passed away. And I, wherever my brother went, I went. Uh, We were like two peas in a pod. Um, So I ended up moving. Now, um, rewinding a little bit, when my grandfather passed away, um, that was really hard for me. Um, I had a chance to go to the hospital um, when they took him. He died of a heart attack. 
Um, but he also had cancer, um, but it was the heart attack that ultimately shook him out. And last minute, I decided not to go. I don't know what made me do it, but I decided I wasn't going. So I went to my best friend's house across the street. And when they came in and told me that he didn't make it, I remember like it was like yesterday, um, my brother came in and my best friend, Amber, her dad was like, how's, how's Wayne doing? That's my grandfather. And he just shook his head and he couldn't even look up. And he was like, he didn't make it. Um, when that happened, I took off running from the house and I went back to our house across the street and I locked myself in my room. Um, I, people would try to come in and talk to me. I would, I shut down for a very long time. Um, he was my protector. You know, he was the, the fun one, you know, pulling me out of school for good grades. Um, you know, um, always rewarding me and trying to do what was best for me. Um, so when I lost him, uh, I lost a part of me. Um, and that so it's hard because it's kind of like you lost two fathers now. Yeah, it was. So I, I did have some um, issues with identifying who my father was, especially when it comes to my spirituality. Um, I just, I lost faith in a lot of things, but then I regained it again. But um, so when I went to uh, Arizona, I lived in Kingman. Um, it's about, I want to say an hour and a half north of Vegas. And um, me and my brother would fly out to my aunt and uncle every summer, um, every other holiday. And when we went there, it was always so much fun. You know, we go to the mall as soon as we touched down, we got to lunch. Uh, my uncle was an umpire for the softball fields, and he also refereed, uh, you know, football and Pop Warner and some of the other high school events. So when we moved in with them, um, sports were a big, big part for me and my brother both. Um, now, my brother, as I mentioned earlier, was already experimenting and using, and um, I looked up to him, so whatever he did, I did. And before I knew it, um, I was starting to drink with him before class. Um, you know, we started with marijuana and I don't know his path that he was taken on. I know he got into a lot um, more hardcore type drugs, but um, he ended up taking off at the age of 17 and left me there with my aunt and uncle. Now we had like the picture perfect quote unquote life with my aunt and uncle. And if I would have known that now, what I didn't know then, um, things would be different, but they're not. Um, so I was in cheerleading. I was in gymnastics. I was in softball. I tried out for tennis. I tried out for volleyball. Um, my brother was on the football team his whole life. Um, I did play soccer as a kid. I didn't want anything to do with it in high school though. I was like, no, that's not for me. <laughs> but um, so being a part of all these sports and stuff, I felt like, um, kind of like there was an expectation of me because everyone knew my aunt. She was well known for the bank that she worked for. And my uncle was known throughout the, the sports part of it because he was always refereeing all the games. Um, so when my brother left, um, I started drinking a lot heavier. Um, I was starting to sneak out go to my friend's houses and get drunk. Um, I was actually suspended in eighth grade. Um, I was drinking on the football field with some friends 
and we were caught, of course, <laughs> and I was suspended. Um, and that affected um, a lot of the sports that I did that followed for the next year or two. Um, I had made the cheerleading squad a couple times and was kicked off because of that. Um, and it gave me a reputation that I, I didn't even really understand at the time. I just knew it made me feel good. Um, and then um, some of the abuse from my aunt and uncle started kicking in as well. Um, some physical abuse. Um, my uncle drank a lot. Um, there were times when like he'd come home and I was getting to the age where I was learning how to drive and he'd come home from the bar and wake me up and be like, Hey, let's go driving. And, you know, looking back at it now, I'm like, well, thank God we didn't get stopped because one, I'm a minor and two, I'm with an intoxicated adult. <laughs> I don't know how to drive and he sure as hell can't either. So, um, there was that, but, um, I was always told to maintain good grades and all that. Um, so when I hit my freshman year at Kingman High School South for the freshmen, um, I tried out for the cheerleading squad again, and I made it. Um, and I had a lot of fun doing it, but those sports were always held against me at the same time. Like my aunt, um, when I started rebelling a lot more and I started drinking, started smoking weed, um, she would be like, well, you know, I'll pull you from this game. I'll pull you from that game. And one day I had enough and I went to my coach and I was like, look, I'm really sorry, but I just, I can't keep doing this anymore. Um, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to turn my uniform in. And I turned my uniform in. And I remember that day I got home and my aunt started in on me on the cheer squad thing. And I was like, well, you don't have to worry about it because I already did it for you. And she actually turned around and drove me back to the school and made me get my uniform back. So now I'm like, here I am, sport that I love because I love to dance. Um, and now I'm having to go before my squad and be like, I'm actually not quitting. So it's like her coming back to the coach put me back on the team. So I kind of had this like, oh, well, she shouldn't really be here anyway. Um, but I got over that. Um, so... When I really, really started drinking really heavily again, um, the end of my ninth grade into my sophomore year, um, it got so bad that I ended up jumping out the window and running away to my best friend's house in Arizona. And um, I had her mom photograph some bruises and stuff um, to document for the court. Um, at the time, um, I was a part of a dual credit program at Kingman High School, um, where we did college credit and high school credit. And I was um, part of that was to do some voluntary work. And I was working at the Kingman Regional Medical Center, um, working in the x-ray department. And I met some people there, uh, really good people. And uh, when it came time, um, when I took off this time, um, I went to her house and I managed to coerce a way to Las Vegas, Nevada to try to find my mother. Um, my friend's mom took me and uh, we met up with someone in Laughlin, Nevada. And from there, they picked me up. We tried to find my mom in Vegas and we couldn't find her. Um, at this point, my mom had had another child. So I do have a half sister as well. She's in California. Um, after that, um, so I'm sitting in Vegas and I'm like 
not even 15 yet and um, not knowing what to do next. And uh, I had met a guy in Arizona. Uh, we were dating and he left to New Mexico um, when his mom transferred jobs for Travels America. And um, he got on MSN Messenger and was like, Jordan, what's going on? I'm hearing all this stuff. And I, I just, I broke down and I told him everything that was going on. And he's like, come here. He's like, at least I know you'll be safe. We'll figure it out from here. I'll let your, my mom know you're coming. And that was it. Um, the person I was staying with in Vegas bought me a Greyhound ticket um, with a security code so I didn't have to use identification. I got my Greyhound bus ticket and I went to Las Cruces, New Mexico, where I would spend the next 12 to 13 years. Um, while I was there is when my addiction really took hold. Um, so I went to Las Cruces, New Mexico, and um, I'm out of school for eight months. I'm missing. Um, at the time I got there, my boyfriend's mom had no idea I was there. I was going in and out between the camper and the house. And later on that week, she found me, uh, made up a big excuse that we were on spring break. And that's why they couldn't reach my guardians. And, you know, um, just really tried to coerce the cops. So they ended up taking me um, because his mom's like, I don't know who this girl is. Well, my boyfriend at the time explained to his mom who I was. And she's like, okay, I remember who she is. She went along with our story. And I don't know what she said to them or how it happened, but she came and picked me back up from the police station and I ended up staying with her for the next eight months. And in that time, uh, the relationship fell apart. I mean, I don't even talk to that person anymore. <laughs> um, uh, what, what, what was happening that fell apart? Um, so one, I wasn't in school and he was, and I was basically trying to be like a, like an at-home mom without the baby type thing. You know, I was having to do the dishes. I would babysit. And I just started feeling really underappreciated. And um, his mom, actually, um, we went across the border to Juarez because I was only like 45 minutes to an hour from where we lived and um, tried putting me on birth control. And I willingly was like, hey, you know, yeah, I'll do it because she's like, they're going to stay here and you guys are going to play house. You're going to be on birth control. And I said, okay. Um, we did get pregnant at one point, but I did miscarry. I mean, I was super young, um, but, uh, it just wasn't the right time. And so here I am for eight months playing housewife and my boyfriend at the time is going to school. He's participating in activities and I am just completely shut out from family and everything. So I don't want anybody knowing where I'm at. And then it got to the point where they didn't want to know where I was at, like um, my boyfriend and his mom, because they didn't want to get in trouble. So I actually stopped communicating altogether, even with some of my friends down in um, Arizona. So fast forward eight months, um, I still remember to this day we're on his roof and he's trying to be all sweet and everything like, oh, stargazing, you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, so... I see this line of cars coming from down the road and it's the sheriff's department coming to his house in, in um, Mesilla County, New Mexico. So it's the Mesilla sheriffs and they pulled up into their driveway and I'm hiding on the roof. Like you don't see me, you don't see me, you can't find me. And they called me down and I went down and that's when my um, battle through the court started. Um, my aunt and uncle wanted me back. 
Um, but they wanted to send me to a boarding school, all girls boarding school. And, um, I had a little, just a little bit taste of freedom, um, of what it was like to not be with them and, um, a little bit of independence at the same time. So it became, uh, the state of Arizona versus the state of New Mexico. I had to prove my own case. And while all this is going on, I'm in a group home, um, and I'm dealing with what's going on there. And I start reconnecting with family I didn't even know I had there. Um, I had an uncle that I was very close with. Unfortunately, he's passed away. Um, I was very, very close with. Um, found out he was there. And I found out some of my extended cousins were out there as well. Um, so I start reaching out to family support. And um, I get granted emancipation. So at this point, I'm 15 and a half going on 16 and I get emancipated. And with that comes, which I didn't know at the time, a bank account. My aunt and my grandparents had been saving mine and my brother's survivor benefits from my father. When he passed away, he had life insurance on him. So now here I am 16 and I have a 35,000 plus bank account. And I'm now emancipated and I think you can't tell me nothing. So um, when I get emancipated, I go into a transitional living program through the state of New Mexico. I do really well, um, but I leave a year early. I left a year before I was supposed to. Um, I said, I have the money, I'm emancipated, I can do what I want now. And I was dating a guy. Um, so me and that other guy, we broke up and I get with this other guy and um, I go and get my own apartment. I have a car that I'm using and I end up buying off of someone else. And when I get my apartment, I pay, I, I think it was almost a year in advance. So I'm like, oh, my bills are taken care of, I'll be fine. Well, this guy is where my addiction um, blew up in my face, so to speak, or, or really began. Um, so we were drinking a lot. Um, I started experimenting with narcotics uh, pill form with him and we were taking pills from his dad, um, his um, pain, uh, pain pills. And not only that, but um, I was also introduced to crack cocaine and um, it took me to my knees. Um, I saw my bank account go from where it was at to down to like maybe $2,000 within a matter of like two, maybe two months. Wow. Um, yeah, it was really bad. I had the dealer at my house. Um, I was letting people run amok on me. I just wanted friends at this point. Um, like I said, as when I was growing up, I was the outcast. Like I was always trying to fit in. And um, I had my two close best friends that were my neighbors. And I love, I still love them to death today. Um, but I wasn't really allowed to do a whole lot growing up um, because the the way I was being raised. Um, it's kind of like a secret, you know, the neighbors knew what was going on, but no one talked, no one told anything. So when the abuse was happening, um, no one really said anything. So whenever I got invited to go out to dinner or something, I was all about it. But um, again, fast forward, the bank account goes down um, and I get pregnant at 16. I go back to the group home where I had my counselor and I'm, I'm in her office crying. Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. Um, my boyfriend at the time was getting ready to go on spring break and um, he broke up with me. So that way he could be single while he went to Cancun or wherever they went in Mexico for spring break. He was in college. 
um, and was just not wanting the guilt of having a girlfriend. Um, I guess, you know, college spring break, you know, <laughs> but, um, so one of his friends who was, was a very close friend to me, um, I went to him and I was like, you know, I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do. I was super scared. Um, but in the state of Ohio, because I was emancipated, they granted me permission to go and have a, an abortion done. And I, at the time, didn't realize what, really what I was doing. I didn't fully understand it. I was just like, I can't have a kid right now. I, I mean, I can't do this. So um, he did go with me to the clinic and it was like something out of a movie. Um, you know, you always hear about these protesters and, um, you know, the arguments and stuff that happen outside the clinics. And I didn't realize how real it was, but I was actually a part of it. And I remember right before they put me, um, counting, had me count back and everything. I remember looking up at a blue sky with clouds and they're like, do you want to hear your baby's heartbeat? And I said, no, um, no, I can't do that. Why would they ask you that? That's I have no idea. Um, it, I mean, it was traumatizing enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, I exactly. I'm 16 in a clinic, and I'm scared to death. You know what I mean? I know. I, I, my girlfriend from a long time ago, we had an abortion, and when I went with her, there was a priest outside. And I was just like, wrong person. Don't even open your mouth. You know? Right. Yeah. And so I didn't really know what was going on. Um, you know, I was already self-medicating at this point, you know, with um, opiates and alcohol. And so we go into the clinic, the procedure's done. Who, who introduced you to opiates? Um, so my boyfriend, at, once I got to New Mexico um, and I broke up with the boyfriend that I was staying with, um, once I got integrated back into high school, so I had to take some classes like self-taught, like self-paced classes in order to attend public school again because I'd been out for eight months and I did really well. I ended up going in with like a 3.83 GPA taking calculus classes like I was rocking it and um, so I went back into public school and it became more of a popularity thing for me. How old were you when you first used the drug? 14. Or alcohol? 14. Okay. Yeah I just turned 14. Yeah, um, and my first drink was a screwdriver with my brother before I caught the bus. And before you ended, caught the bus? Yeah, right before I had to go catch the bus, and it ended up being that I was late to school because I missed that bus. <laughs> um, I, I was intoxicated, and my brother said, you can't go to school. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean I can't go to school? I'm fine, and like he's pouring another drink, and I'm knocking stuff all over the counter. I don't know what's going on, but... Um, Going back to that real quick, um, a big part that plays a big part in my uh, story. Um, so when my brother ran away, my aunt and uncle were like, that's it. We're not doing this anymore. And I was told he was not allowed in the house. And so the doors had to be locked. I wasn't allowed to let him in if he came by. Well, being the little sister and I love my brother dearly, um, whenever he'd come by and mind you, this is like wintertime in Arizona, um, I, I let him, I let him in the house. Um, I made him some hot chocolate. I let him take a shower and all of his stuff was at the front of the, at the front door. And I let him take his things and leave. 
And um, I wouldn't speak to my brother again for almost 13 years. Um, little random messaging here and there on Facebook or MSN Messenger. Um, and it broke my heart um, when I lost him. Because now that's my dad, my grandfather, and my brother. All people that I held very close and dear to my life were gone. And my brother went through his own addiction. And uh, I'm happy to say now, um, from what I know, because we aren't in communication at the moment, um, that he is clean. Um, he's married. I was there for his wedding. Uh, mind you, I hadn't seen my brother, like I said, in over 10 years. And here I am uh, as a bridesmaid at his wedding with a sister-in-law that I can't stand. Um, she... I know he loves her and I know he loves the children and I love my nieces and nephews, but he has told me over and over again that that marriage is for the kids. And it's because we came from such a broken family. Um, family is everything to us. I mean, he was, he's always there for his kids. He's always present. He's always taking care of them. But um, like I said, we don't communicate right now. And that has to do a lot with my addiction. I I burnt some bridges I haven't been able to mend yet, but I'm getting there. But um, so uh, go back to New Mexico after the abortion. Um, I get back, the boyfriend at the time uh, goes off to spring break and the best friend that I had, his name is Sergio. And he is also the father to my oldest child, Calvin who's 12 and they're back in New Mexico. Um, he was by my side through the whole thing. Um, he held my hand, he checked on me and uh, lo and behold, like I said, we ended up having um, a 12 year relationship. We still talk today. Um, but uh, through that, uh, there was a lot of drinking, heavy, heavy drinking involved. Um, we did a lot of narcotics together there was cocaine involved and I got pregnant a couple times and ended up miscarrying because we found out too late um the last second to last time I was pregnant with him I um I took a pregnancy test and I was pregnant and I was in the middle of an addiction and um I tried to stop um but it was already too late um I I believe I was three months um and I was at my best friend's house and I started bleeding and I was cramping. And I told her, I said, Tony, something's not right here. So we rush over to the emergency room and they run an ultrasound and there's no heartbeat. So at that point, they have to, they have to do a DNC. And um, after that DNC. What's um, a DNC? A DNC is where they have to go in and it's. And clean out the cervix and everything um, to remove the baby okay. um, because the baby at that point is no longer viable and it would become toxic to my body had it stayed. Um, so after that DNC, the doctors told me that I would probably never have children again just because the way my uterus was shaped and all the trauma that had happened, um, I wouldn't be able to carry full term and to basically stop trying to have kids. Um, so that's what we did. We stopped trying to have kids. And um, I miscarried five other times after that. And I was fighting so hard to be a mother at that point. I wanted to be a mom so bad. Um, 
almost to try to fill my own void. You know what I mean? Because I didn't have my mom and I didn't have a father and I wanted a family so bad. And me and Sergio, I, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better soulmate um, or best friend to this day. Um, but when I did get pregnant with Calvin, um, I was healthy. I got clean. Uh, we were clean together. Um, I went on Subutex, um, which I don't know if you know what that is or not. Um, is that for, that, is that for the is that for drinking or opiates? That's for opiates. Yeah. Um, so what Subutex is 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 that it, Suboxone? It's like Suboxone, but it does not contain the buprenorphine. Um, so what buprenorphine is, is it, it's what blocks the opiate receptor, um, in your brain. So basically with Subutex, um, they give it to a lot of pregnant women. So that way you don't cause any damage to the fetus because buprenorphine has not been studied yet, but, um, it's been known to, um, have some effects on the fetus, uh, while you're pregnant. So I'm on Subutex. I'm in a, um, outpatient through the New Mexico health department and Sergio is taking Suboxone and we both get clean together. And I have Calvin on June 10th, 2010 at 9, 12 PM. And he was healthy. Um, but I was in labor for 32 hours. Um, I was determined to try to have a natural birth and God had other plans. Um, my blood pressure spiked. I became preeclamptic. And um, my blood pressure was at stroke levels. And the doctor came in and Calvin also was coming a week early. And the other side of the family had just left for a vacation to Disney World. And uh, Sergio's grandfather was a doctor and I wanted him there. Um, but like I said, God had other plans and we had an emergency C-section. And about 45 minutes later, I was holding my little boy. Um, I was present. Um, I was there for many, many milestones, but um, when Calvin turned three, um, so I was going to college at the time as well at New Mexico State University. I was taking college courses to be a, psych a psychologist. Um, I wanted to do uh, trauma counseling for, for men and women and um taking a lot of psychology classes, a lot of chemistry classes. And then I also wanted to become a nurse as well. So I was kind of doing a whole lot of things at once. <laughs> um, but I, I hit pause for a minute and um, Sergio wanted to go back to college as well. And I didn't think it was fair for him to give up what, how far he had come. And so I told him for the next two years, I want you to go back to school and fix your GPA and I will hold the family down. And I started working at a nightclub. And with, with not even an hour later, um, I get to the club and they're like, hey, we need dancers. So I started stripping for two years in New Mexico. Um, and again, that's where the addiction picked back up. Um, the whole time it's calling to me in the back of my head. Um, you know, I'm self-doubting myself. Uh, I'm going through really bad postpartum. Um, but I had this, and again, I had another image to uphold and I felt like I wasn't holding that image up. And so I started drinking and drowning myself. Um, so now here I am, uh, I'm an exotic dancer and I'm making all this money and I'm around all this alcohol. I mean, I'm, I don't know if you know about the nightlife or not, but when, you know, when you go to the club, 
you're going to drink and you're going to spend money and drugs do get involved in, in and outside the club. And, um, for a while there, there was a lady who was like right hand to the owner. And, um, at the time I didn't quite realize what was going on until I got out of it and learned about it. But, um, she would, so I'd see all these girls go to these after parties and come back with all this money. And I'm like, well, why am I not making as much as them? Um, and I got involved with this lady and, um, later found out that she was prostituting me. Um, so here I am, I'm at these after parties and I'm doing these things and not thinking anything of it. And I am really drinking and drowning at this point. I'm back on cocaine again and I'm taking, uh, pills, opiate pills in the process, um, to cure the hangover. Um, it got so bad that it became, uh, a fifth of Jack was my breakfast. Um, I was waking up with shakes I couldn't not drink, Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I was doing cocaine to stay awake and pills to ease the hangover, so I thought I had it under control. I thought I can do this. I'm functioning. I'm still working. I'm holding my family down. I'm I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm getting away with it. Um, It wasn't until... uh, right around the two-year mark that I realized um, I had made it home and I had no idea how I got home. I drove me and three other people about 30 minutes dropping them off and getting myself home and I have no idea how I did that. I don't remember driving. I don't remember if anyone switched me driver's seats, Um, but all I remember was waking up to my driver's side door being open and the seatbelt on me and I never drove with my seatbelt on but the seatbelt was on me and I was driving a a standard at the time. And I don't know how I got there, but by the graces of God, I did get home. I mean, I was going through news articles. I was searching online. Did was there a wreck? Did anybody get hurt? And nothing happened. So um, call it, I call it God um, was on my side and definitely someone was there taking the wheel. Um, So while I'm dancing, um, I run across this real estate lawyer um, who who was a regular inside the club I worked at. And um, him and um, some of the other girls, he was known to come in and flaunt his money. He drove an Aston Martin, had a bunch of properties, and we get to talking. And um, I start working for him, uh, cleaning houses. He said he didn't want to see me in the club anymore. And um, I would later on have a relationship with this man behind uh, my now ex-fiance's back. Um, I got money from him. I got iPhones from him. He even went as far as to buy me a car so that way I could get to and from work. Um, It was uh, was a newer Corolla S. I remember it to this day. Um, Driving off the lot, it only had 16 miles on it. So some red tape was cut there. And... um, Me and Sergio, so we have Calvin as well. And like I said, he's about two or three. He's about three this time. And um, we take a trip to Denver, Colorado, because I want to do a Playboy audition. And so we get up to Colorado. I'm still drinking nonstop. And I I barely make the audition. And I was was a wreck. Like, I am so embarrassed now 
looking back. But um, the point of this story right here is that on the way home, I had been drinking as well. And um, Sergio had been driving for, I don't remember how long it was, but he drove there and back. And I kept asking him, do you want me to drive? And he's like, no, no, you've been drinking too. Like, you're all, I'm okay. So we get to this little rest area in Hatch, New Mexico. And um, we pull off for a second. He uses the bathroom. I check on the baby, the baby's fine. And we get back in the car and we start driving. Well, I wake up to um, the little thud things in the road that go like that when you're driving. Yeah, on the side of the road. Yeah, and um, so we're actually going to the left into this big dirt median. And I'm waking up and all I see is it's going on to oncoming traffic. And I wake him up and I startle him awake and he turns the wheel to the left. We start spinning in the middle of the dirt. And my car, the ABS finally kicked in and we end up sliding away from oncoming back onto one-way traffic and we slide into a guardrail. And my, my son is in the back. So I can't even get my side of the door open. He's hopping out of the driver's side and the baby's asleep the whole time. But as mom, I'm like, he's not responding. What's going on? Is my baby okay? I can't get the door open. So I jump in the back and he's just sound asleep. Like nothing <laughs> happened. Like thank by God the grace. no one got hurt. Yeah. Thank God no one got hurt. So now I get to explain to my employer what happened to my car. Real quick, going back a little bit. Uh, I'm just out of sheer curiosity. What's the Playboy edition like? Is it just like take your clothes off and they take photos or something? Or so <laughs> is it like a group I, of, is it like a, a panel of judges or something? Like how does yeah. that work? Yeah. So oh. at first I thought it was just like, I'm gonna go there, I'm gonna take my clothes off, take some pictures, and we're done. No, it is like a whole interview process. And so when you're getting interviewed by these photographers, they're talking to you about like, you know, what brought you to Playboy um you know what what do you hope comes with this audition and while you're answering these interview questions you're supposed to be like being sexy and taking your clothes off and stuff well mind you I'm intoxicated and in six inch heels (laughs) so I'm a hot mess and but I'm auditioning I'm doing it and I told myself no matter what I'm gonna go through I'm gonna follow through I'm gonna do this well and if the audition happens obviously I did not get a call back (laughs) um (laughs) But, you know, I'm glad because that could have taken me down another path. Um, but yeah. I, I'm glad I didn't go down now that I know a little bit more about what I know. And people um, doing that and also like what you were mentioning before being, you know, working at a nightclub and stripping. Mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't imagine doing that because I'd be scared. I'd be so scared. Like, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was. I was terrified. So um, when I went to this club... It's in Vinton, New Mexico. Um, And mind you, I went in to be a cocktail waitress. And within the first hour, I was being asked to dance because they needed dancers. Um, So I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never taken my clothes off in front of an audience before. And uh, one of the bouncers um, gave me a double shot of Jack Daniels for courage. And I did that, and before I knew it, I was on the stage. Um, about a year and a half later, I mean, I was, I was pretty popular at that club. You know, I, I knew how to work the pole at that point. I was doing a lot of um, pole dancing. Um, I could do the tricks and everything, and I was, you know, bachelor parties. Like, the money was just 
piling in and I just wasn't paying attention to the chaos around me and what it was doing to my lover and my son. I became less and less more present. Um, I became more and more addicted to the money and the drugs. And, um, you know, the real estate lawyer I told you about, um, he wanted me out of the club. He still wanted me for sex. Um, so I get super intoxicated, clean this house. And then before I know it, like I said, I'm having a relationship with this guy behind my ex-fiance and he's, he's aware of it now. Um, but at the time I was hiding it. Uh, but I think in the back of his head, he always knew, but he was just quiet about it because I was getting a spy. You know what I mean? Um, so I have to tell this employer, my car is wrecked. And I tell him, and I, I have a friend, um, I was living on a property that my uncle owned. And we had a friend, excuse me, who lived um, just like a row of apartments ahead of us, who was the mechanic. And I'm like, hey, great. I have this car. My boss is going to order all the parts. It's time to fix his car, order all the parts. And they take the back panel off and the, the wheel well is damaged. Well, at this point, the car is totaled. So now my friend's really mad because he has all these body parts and nothing to do with them. So that relationship ends up falling apart because he ends up having to pay his company back for the parts that he ordered. So that goes down the drain. And my, um, so this friend who was going to work on the car, um, there was a period of time where I needed a vehicle. He let me borrow his car and I actually drove it into a, into a ditch, um, or ditch or creek. I don't know. Um, but I remember waking up and I had water up to my waist and, intoxicated. Uh, I was intoxicated. Um, I lost track of the road and I ended up on this dirt road where all these cornfields were at <laughs> and uh, lost track. And I thought I was going back up like this little dip up back onto the road and it ended up being a canal. And I dropped the car into the canal. And um, I remember water coming up to my waist. I was freaking out. I had drugs on me at the time. I was intoxicated. So I didn't want the cops getting called. Um, so my friend, I call him. I tell him what's going on. He comes and picks me up. And we end up getting into a truck to get the car out. Well, my employer at the time pays to repay, uh, repair the car. And um, he also takes the insurance money from my car that was totaled in on the way back from Denver and gets me another car. So now I have another car, it's a 2007 Ford Fusion. Great. So I got a car. My relationship's falling apart at this point. Um, I had gone on a trip to Houston, Texas with this real estate lawyer and had relations with him. I stayed at a hotel with him. He spoiled me and just kind of made me feel like the little princess I never got to be, but in the wrong way. Um, but I loved it. I loved the attention I was getting. Um, so when I get back, I start having to face myself. Um, you know, my ex-fiance, a fiance at the time is asking me questions that I don't want to answer. And I'm lying to him, bold-faced lying and thinking I'm getting away with it. And, um, so I start meeting these other people, um, you know, he's working, and I'm, I'm just running amok, doing whatever I want. And um, I run into a, a co-worker of his, um, and she, no, sorry, rewind that a little bit before that. Um, 
I had a friend who was staying in a hotel and mind you, I'm starting to use, I had already started using pills again at this point and I couldn't get a hold of any Percocet at the time. And I'm like, I'm getting sick and I had never been sick before. Like I knew aches and pains and whatnot. I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. But I was actually getting opiate withdrawals at this point. And if you know anything about opiate withdrawals, they're horrible. Um, I know all too well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, I had to go through it. It was diarrhea. My stomach hurt. Yeah sweating then you're freezing yeah and it's all at once too like one minute you're super hot the next minute you're super cold you know you can't eat but you know you need to stay hydrated and 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 like and and being being that I was in pre-nursing I knew what was going on and I knew how to try to control it but I mean at this point I'm an addict so I'm gonna nothing personal but I'm you know I gotta get to to my fix and um I hit up one of my friends and I'm like hey do you, do you know where to find anything and she's like well you know I can't get any pills but I think I have something else that might help you oh boy yeah and I'm like oh okay so I get over there and I'm totally naive to to heroin I have no idea what I'm getting myself into and all I know is I have this brown substance that I'm smoking and I'm thinking it's maybe some form of pill or whatever and I'm smoking and I'm feeling great I later find out two days later that I am actually smoking black tar heroin and I'm addicted I I loved the rush I loved the adrenaline it gave me and um, unfortunately in that same week I started IV using as well I smoked opium before so um it's, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, yeah. yeah um, I've never smoked opium before, um, but like, like pure opium, but. Um, yeah. My buddy used to get it. I didn't really feel anything from it. Tell you no, truth. no. I don't know if I was doing it wrong or whatever. You <laughs> would put it in a bowl with some weed. You put, yeah. You would, so that's what I've always like been right told on too. Top of the bowl. Yeah. We smoke it that way. And uh I never really felt anything extra. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, I took painkillers before and I loved them. They made me feel nice. Right, right. No, you're not the only person who's told me that. Because I do know some people who have tried opium and they're like, oh, it was nothing. Yeah, it wasn't anything special for me. Yeah, and then they do like pills or, um, you know, morphine or whatever. And they're like, oh my God, this is so much better. Yeah, but um, I loved Oxycontins. Those, those were my shit. So, yeah, so when, um, before I got pregnant with Calvin, I can't believe I forgot this part, before I got pregnant with Calvin, and I told you I was doing pills with uh, my ex-fiance at the time, um, it started with Oxycontin. Um, We were getting Oxy-80s at the time for really, really cheap, and so that's where it started, and then from there, I went to Percocet's. I found Opanas at the time, which you don't even hear of those anymore. Um, what is it called? Opanas. Never heard of it. It's like a painkiller for like cancer patients. I don't okay. quote me on that, but it's that strong. Um, but, uh, and at the time, Sergio is working for a hotel. And so he's seeing all these different people come in and out and we're getting pills off of them. You know, he's giving them free rooms, you know, and, and I'm thinking more living the lifestyle, but I mean, then we get pregnant, have Calvin and, you know, the whole dancing career and everything. And then um, things really 
took a turn for the worst. Um, so I found, like I said, I found out what black tar heroin was. And, um, you know, I, I had heard people talk about it and being in pre-nursing, I knew what I was getting into, but I didn't realize the hold it would take on my life. Um, everything I had worked so hard for went down the drain so quick. Um, so like I said, I, I went from smoking to shooting in the first week. Um, my fiance at the time was out of town. Um, I let my friend and her boyfriend move in while he was gone. And he's like, no, that can't happen, but I'll let it happen anyway. And I know he had his suspicions that I was using. Um, I was falling asleep a lot more. I wasn't as present. Um, I wasn't wanting to go to as many family outings. Um, and I was just becoming absent. Um, so once he finds out, and, and this is how he found out. Um, so I took my needle and I put it on top of the medicine cabinet and thinking, oh, he'll never look there. Well, it just so happens that one day he decides to clean the bathroom and right on top of the medicine cabinet is my needle. Mind you, I'm putting my own son at risk um, and him and my everything I had worked for. I had what would have been the American dream. I had two cars, we had a, you know, a house, we had a son, I was in love. I was getting ready to go back to school because he had gotten himself caught up and everything was looking good. And for some reason, deep down inside of me, now that I know what I know, um, I was I was going to start facing my own demons. Um, you know, everything that happened to me as a child, trauma-wise, um, I didn't know how to deal with it. And I didn't realize that that's what was happening. All I knew was the instant gratification and I was in love with it. And um, it hurts to say, but I was in love with it more than I was in love with myself. And with that went my, my self-worth, um, my friendships, my family, um, you know, back in throughout this addiction when it started, um, I have family, you know, I could ask for money. I would manipulate and lie, cheat, steal, rob, what, anything between me and that next tie, I, I had to have it. And if you were in the way, I was going to manipulate my way to it. It didn't matter. Um, and that meant even my fiance at the time, he would fall asleep and I'd sneak in, take his, his uh, bank card and go run to the ATM and slip it back in his wallet before he woke up. And um, he ended up having to kick me out of the house over it. Um, so I was staying with friends and couch surfing for, for a while. And then I ultimately started sleeping in my own car. And um, I was literally driving around while this girl that I thought was my friend was literally shooting me up with heroin. And I would let her use my car. And I was like, whatever. And yeah, I used my car just, you know, keep me well. Because at this point, I know what it really means to be dope sick. Um, you know, for you or anybody who's listening, um, you know, what a heroin withdrawal is like. And it's it's nothing like a pill of withdrawal. It's really not. Um, it's 10 times worse. Um, I felt like I was going to die. Um, so again, anything, anything to get that next that next fix. Um, so that relationship fell apart and um, started dating another guy. 
in case you see a pattern um men are very toxic in my life um i tend to let men run run me um tell me what i need to do do go where you know makeup you know write friends whatever um so i meet this other guy and at this point i'm staying in hotels um weekly hotels or extended stays and um it hurts to say this because my son, when I told him, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he goes, mommy, I just want to build hotels so I can come see you whenever you want, whenever I want. And you don't have to worry about paying rent because remind you, I'm trying to uphold an addiction as well as pay my, my weekly rent at these places. And, um, so the guy I started seeing, um, had a criminal record, and he wanted to come back to Ohio. Uh, he was from Hilliard. He wanted to come back to Ohio and stay with his brother and start getting close to his family again. Well, anything and anything to get rid of the focus on me. So I get on another Greyhound bus and I board the bus and I follow him to Columbus, Ohio. And when I hit Indianapolis, mind you, I'm messaging him the whole time. I get to Indianapolis and he's like, I haven't told my brother you're coming. And I'm like, what? Okay, so we're like, what? Like, I just left my whole life behind me and you didn't tell anybody I was coming. So we, um, his brother lived in Washington Courthouse, Ohio. And uh, the bus was driving right through there to drop me off in Columbus. This guy did not even call off work to come and get me. I called him in the middle of his shift and was like, I'm here. Where are you? So now, not only am I 2,300 miles away from anything I've ever known, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, a city that I've never even been in around people I don't know. And for the first time, I'm seeing addiction like right in my face. Like there's people right outside Greyhound getting high and I'm like, what is going on here? So he shows up, picks me up. We go to Washington courthouse and we stay with his brother for a little bit, but I start drinking again. And so does he, we get physical with each other on a regular basis. You know, we're fist fighting. Um, at one point I dislocated his jaw. At another point he put his hands on me. Um, it, it just, it was not healthy at all. And, um, we're in Washington courthouse and, um, his brother ends up kicking him out and ultimately me. So we find this little studio apartment. We're still fighting. We're still drinking and we're starting to pop pills again. And at this point I'm going in and out of the hospital, like any and any excuse to get pills, um, to take the edge off. And I was serving as a waitress at Dakota Roadhouse, making pretty decent money. And, um, he, I don't remember what he was doing. Um, but ultimately, um, we were living out of his car at the end of the stay in Washington, Washington courthouse. Um, so it's hitting wintertime in Ohio. And if you know anything about Ohio, it gets really cold, <laughs> like really cold. Yeah. Um, so we're, I mean, we don't know what we're doing. Um, we're staying in his car. I, I can't ask family for help at this point because I've abandoned everybody thinking that this guy is going to make it all, all that much better. And um, 
he gets a hold of one of his high school buddies and they send us some money um, for gas and we come to Columbus, Ohio, sit down back in Columbus and we're staying with his high school friend. I'm, you know, friends with this guy's girlfriend. We're getting, and I end up pregnant again. So <sighs> I end up with kidney stones during this pregnancy and um, they have me on prescription from a doctor. Um, they had me on prescription Roxy's, um, the a 15 milligram immediate release Percocets because I had such bad kidney stones. And I mean, they were talking like kidney stones. Like, so I went into labor with Draven, who is now six. Um, and I had him on August 25th, 2016. And then um, right behind that, I got pregnant again. So after I had Draven, um, me and Josh start falling apart. We're arguing. We don't have anywhere to stay. Um, we had housing at the time. He was working at, for his employer, who also doubled as a landlord. And um, things started falling through on that job because he was always asking for money up front because he needed a fix, and so did I. So we get kicked out of the landlord's house. And... Um, we go on back and we're staying with his friend. Um, mind you, I have Draven with me and uh, I go through postpartum, not realizing it. And uh, when I go to get my birth control put in um, at my postpartum checkup, I am pregnant again. So I am on my third child now and I'm pregnant with Jace Jackson, who is now five. Um, I, uh, that was a hard one too. I was again, I had kidney stones. So I was on Percocet again and um, children's services got involved because I tested positive for opiates and I had to prove to the courts that everything was doctor related and all that. And that was kind of hard for them to believe because it's coming from an addict by any and all means necessary. I was getting high. It didn't matter. Um, but at the same time, um, Right before I had Jace, um, Josh got charged with weapons under disability. I don't know if you know what that is or not. No. So what weapons under dis disability is, is when a felon gets caught with a handgun. And so he was on probation and um, this should have been a red flag right there, right? But I ignored all warning signs and um, the people we were staying with, his friend from high school, had uh, he's a gun collector and he sells and trades guns and there was a gun on top of the gun safe and he took the gun and traded it for drugs and it was on camera and I even told him I mean I'm in the video like what are you doing like put it back you're this is insane who was videotaping um it, he just had cameras in the house in general because um the type of business he did um it was just one of those little wireless cameras. No, I got you. I have it in my house too. Yeah. So it was on the gun safe and um, only because of the fact I'm on camera and you can hear me telling him, don't do this, put it back is what saved me from jail time. But it did not excuse the fact that I was already using again, right after I had Jace, I started using again. Um, so um when Josh gets sent back to New Mexico to do some jail time, 
for violating probation, I am now stuck with two infants here in Ohio. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. Um, I'm at the family center at this point um, here in Columbus. Um, and the day before my C-section with Jace, uh, Children's Services came into me and said, um, you know, do you know who this is? And they brought up uh, Josh's name. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know who that is. And she's like, well, do you know why we're here? And I said, no. And they told me his charges and they told me that I was trying, that they were trying to charge me with abuse and neglect um, for the uh, positive opiate test in my system um, at the time of birth. So the day before I have my C-section with Jace, they're coming and they're telling me that they're opening a case. So I go into the scheduled C-section. I have Jace and he is put in the NICU for withdrawal. That is a mother's worst nightmare. Um, it's taken a lot for me to forgive myself so I can grow up and move on and be a present mom again and a sober mom. Um, but my son was at Children's Nationwide here in Columbus, Ohio in the NICU. Um, sorry, no, um, Ohio State University main campus um, in the NICU. Um, and um, so I was trying to be a good mom and still go, go up to the floor and see him. And I was doing that while I was there. When I was discharged, um, I went back to the hospital one day and they told me I was not permitted to be on the floor without an escort. And I was like, what are you talking about? Um, I had failed to get a letter from them, uh, certified mail, that I was being served by Children's Services and that they were taking temporary custody of my children, both of them. So I, I can't go see him at all. And if I want to see him, I have to go through the courts. So I start that process. And um, so while I'm starting that process, um, you know, I, I try to go to counseling. Um, I get into an outpatient. I start taking methadone, um, which worked for a minute. Um, but then I don't, I don't know. I had this really bad habit of self-sabotage. Um, things would go great for a minute and then I would just destroy everything. I don't know why. Um, I still to this day don't know why. And maybe God doesn't want me to know why, because it's not who I am anymore. But I go to this outpatient program through comp drug and I'm there and I'm doing my parenting classes I'm seeing my kids again they're like get a job get an apartment you can get your kids back because Ohio is a mothering state so I get a great job at Applebee's I'm loving life I'm sober um or what I thought was sober um and I'm working nights and I get grand custody back of my children so I'm in this really nice two-bedroom two-bath apartment I'm getting a car on the way and I'm working a really good job and I'm excelling like quick. And so from open to shut, I had a case with children's services that closed within three months. And um, my caseworker at the time was like, this is the quickest I've ever seen a case open or close. Get my kids back and things just start falling apart. Um, I start, you know, parenting out of guilt and shame. Um, and then um, I switched jobs to um, 
the Cheesecake Factory, and I was making really good money as a server, but I started uh, using cocaine again, and I started drinking really heavy again. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't look at my kids with, without guilt, you know, um, what I, you know, what I had put them through, what they were going through, um, you know, they say kids don't remember, oh, they'll never remember they were too young. Well, I can remember when I was two, you know what I mean, um, and what I went through. Um, but so I get really drunk one day and I don't make it to pick my kids up and they're calling my work. My work tells them where I'm at. It's a bar, like literally right a couple doors down from the restaurant. And I'm completely intoxicated. Like they had to put me in a cab and a person I was seeing at the time had to get me up to my hotel room. And I woke up to a note stating that children's services had my children. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that was really hard for me because I wanted so hard to not be my mom. Um, and that's exactly what I was doing. I was becoming, I was becoming her, um, slowly, but surely. And, um, but I went through what I went through and, um, I proved I could take my kids back and everything and I got them back and then I lost them like that. Um, I relapsed, um, so when I lost my kids this time, um, I immediately jumped right back on the wagon and uh, started using again, started drinking again, um, got involved with the wrong people again. And um, I, at this time, find out what white China is. Um, it's a, step, a pretty big step up from black tar heroin and I'm still IV using. And I'm letting anyone and whoever stay with me, um, you know, just to keep the bills up and get that next high. Um, I had friends stay, I had some of my girlfriends staying with me. We were in a house and I let people walk all over me. Um, I didn't have that boundary up of no, you know, no is no. Um, I was raped a couple of times um, throughout that stint. If you well um who was it who who attacked you um so it was one of my friends heather her boyfriend at the time he has passed away due to an overdose and um some random men i didn't even know they were just people that the, my friends had brought over and i had would get so high that i would nod out and um i was raped um two different times and um, you would think that that would be enough insanity to make someone stop, but it wasn't. Um, it just made me do it more because now I'm demoralizing myself. My self-worth is out the window. I'm, I don't have my kids, none of them. I'm not talking to family anymore. I mean, my brother aren't talking. And I go to a very, very dark spot. Well, that's and, the power of the compulsion we have as addicts. I mean, yeah. we can't help it. No, it's just the nature of what we do. We destroy our lives. And I really didn't. And I continued to destroy it. Um, you know, I would get these quick little relationships in the middle with other men because I just wanted someone to love me at this point. And so I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Um, now, um, so after, and I never went to prosecute these men either because I didn't even know their first name um 
I, I get into another relationship <laughs> and um, it becomes violent and the landlord is actually a whole detective at this point and um, overheard the argument and um, me getting thrown down the stairs and me getting hit. And uh, she came, um, my boyfriend at the time had a rental car and he was driving around in circles following me. And um, he got out and walked to the bus stop I was at. And he's like, you know, you need to come back. I'm so sorry. I'll never put my hands on you again. And um, this man almost killed me. Um, he, uh, so the detective pulls up in the car and he's standing in front of me. Mind you, my face is black and blue on this side. And um, she's like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to her. She's like, you need to move. And he stepped out of her way. And she's like, do you want out of this? And I mean, I, I, I didn't know what else to say. I was like, yes. I said, I, I need help. I need out of this. And she knew I was a drug addict because she'd been in the house and seen my paraphernalia. Um, and by this point, I'm also introduced to methamphetamines when I come to Ohio and after I lose my two kids. Um, so I get out of that relationship. She lets me break the lease. And now I have a car that I'm driving around that my ex-boyfriend is paying on. And I wrecked that car intoxicated. Uh, one of my friends had robbed somebody. Uh, they had dropped their wallet at a market. He picked it up and got in the car and start driving off. The next thing I know, I have guns being fired from behind me. And um, I hit a mailbox and I hit a fence and I take the wallet and I throw it out the window. Mind you, anything to get that next high. So I take $40 out of the wallet before I throw it. Well, I throw it and I'm like, here, I'm sorry, I didn't know. And I throw it out the window and this guy has a pistol in my face and he smacked me across the face with it. And he's like, he's left me, I don't kill you right now. And um, I start to drive off and he noticed that there was money missing and starts shooting at the car again and hits the back trunk, uh, the trunk. And um, I swerve and the airbags finally deploy. This car has OnStar. So now it's, doo -doo -doo, welcome to OnStar. We detected you've been in an accident. And I'm like, oh my God. And I tell everybody, get your stuff and get out of the car. We got to go right now. So... We hear the cop sirens in the background. I've got two other people, three other people in my car, excuse me. And we're all high um, on methamphetamines and um, fentanyl at this point, because I have been introduced to fentanyl at this point. Um, and again, by any means necessary. And so um, we leave the car, it gets totaled, and my ex gets stuck paying for a $12,000 car he can't even have. So um, I get out of that relationship and I go into another relationship. I was literally jumping person to person, just looking for someone to love me for me. And, um, but granted that I was an addiction, I didn't care what they thought of me as long as I had somebody laying next to me at night that I could say was mine and that loved me or what I thought was love. Um, so I met this other guy and um, by this point I'm homeless. Um, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm gonna stay. I don't know where I'm getting my next meal from, but I had ran into somebody I had met 
uh, about six months prior to that relationship falling apart. And um, I ran into him on the bus. He's like, hey, Jordan, what's going on? You look down. Are you okay? And I'm like, no, I have no idea what I'm doing. said, I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I haven't eaten in two days. Um, I'm getting sick. And he's like, I got you. I'll never forget the choice I made. He's like, I got you. He's like, come hang with me for the day. I'll take care of you. I'll get you well. You won't have to do anything. Just kick back. Just ride with me. And, and I got you. It's like, okay, cool. Where's the catch, though? So makes me really comfortable. You know, we're using and, you know, I get well. And he introduces me to the life of what boosting is. I don't know if you know what that is or not. Dealing? Yeah. So um basically we're going into these stores now and we're stealing from the stores to take to the dope man and um i'm not talking like kroger's or albertson's or anything i'm talking we're going into stores and getting jordans nike fit outfits uh expensive jewelry colognes anything that anybody wanted they'd give us a list and we'd go get again any means necessary i was getting high um and I got, I'm not even going to lie, I got it through a lot of it. I liked the adrenaline rush. I liked the attention I got. Um, kind of like that bad girl vibe had really kicked in, like, oh, you can't tell me nothing. And I start getting theft charges on my criminal record, um, plus a drug abuse instrument, because I always had a needle on me. Um, it didn't matter what I was doing. Um, I luckily had fallen out of uh, the cocaine phase. And I was literally, you know, just speedballing methamphetamines and fentanyl at this point. Um, so you were purposely doing fentanyl? I was purposely doing fentanyl, purpose- wow. not knowing what, what could happen. And so I'm doing fentanyl and um, every time I go to jail, I'd get out I have like a couple weeks or, you know, maybe a month clean under me and I'd go right back to using and I would overdose every time and um this guy that I was dating who I now have a fourth child with um was there narcanning me every single time um and bringing me back and all the while though he's telling me you know don't overdose you can't do that and you know you're making me look bad and but yet you're the one sitting there helping me get high and um so um, I start learning what the trap life is like, what it's like inside a trap house. Um, it's For those of you who don't know what a trap house is, it's a drug house. And um, I start learning how to work the door and kind of like a security type position. Um, and I didn't realize how dangerous of a game I was playing. Um, I saw things that I can never unsee. Um, I've seen people get shot. I have seen women get hit. Um, I've seen men get drugged out and thrown around. Um, And I also was introduced to prostitution again um, by my own baby dad. Um, I didn't realize that's what was going on at the time. I thought it was just to go get money. I would later find out that he was actually grooming me to be trafficked. Um, So I am a human traffic survivor. but meanwhile, while all this is going on, um, my baby dad, my recent baby dad, sounds horrible, <laughs> my recent baby dad, um, he uh, 
was running around cheating on me the whole time and um, caused quite a bit of fights between me and the women on what we call the block, which is um, Sullivan Avenue here in Columbus, Ohio. And it's on the west side of Columbus and it's known for prostitution. And, um, you know, it's always like, you know, I can't take care of you forever. And so I started hitting the block. And, but when he'd see me on the block, he's like, what are you doing out here? And pull me away and we go boost and then get high. And then it's over oh, out of drugs. So he's like, you know, you know, you did all this. Da, 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 da. So I'm out on the block again. Well, when I got pregnant with our fourth son, um, Amir, um, I'm in full-blown addiction. I don't find out till I'm six months pregnant that I'm pregnant with Amir. And um, medically, the doctor told me I have to tell you to stop. But when the nurses left the room, he's like, Jordan, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Uh, and I, I kind of already knew what was coming. He's like, if you quit doing fentanyl right now, you're going to lose that baby. And so at this point, I'm faced with, you know, do I go get treatment? Do I quit? Do I risk losing the baby? And mind you, I have a cheating spouse on my hands as well, who also infected me with STDs uh, during my pregnancy. Um, and I didn't find that out till I had the baby because I was so ashamed and scared of judgment through the medical profession that I did not seek prenatal care. Now, luckily, Amir is happy and healthy. He's now 17 months old and he's walking and talking and I am present, becoming present in his life again. Now, when I had him, um, my baby dad, um, current baby dad, um, I had reached out to the biological aunt who lives in Sandusky, Ohio. It's, I think like 45 minutes from here. Um, and I was like, look, here's what's going on. I know children's services is going to get involved. I need a safe place for him to go. I need somewhere for him to go so I can get some help because I know at this point I need help. I can't do it alone. And every time I try to get with a man who I thought would help me, I, I end up further and further in my addiction. You know, I went deeper and deeper and deeper into a very dark place. And after I had a mirror, I hit postpartum again, and I never fully got over that. Uh, my doctor today even says I'm still suffering from postpartum because I never got to hold my baby. So um, I go into labor with Amir, and mind you, I'm still full-blown addiction. Um, my life is just in such chaos that I don't care what's going on. I'm literally subconsciously trying to end it, but I'm too scared to hurt myself but I'm trying to find a way out. And um, I go into labor and I don't realize it's labor because remember I had C-sections with all my children. And so when I actually go into labor, I'm four weeks early and my blood pressure is 166 over 123. I should have died, but by the grace of God, I'm still here. Um, so I get to the hospital and I'm trying to sign paperwork at the same time they're prepping me for surgery. I have a mirror and uh, they have to immediately take him to the NICU immediately. The hospital I was at, um, they couldn't find a vein to start an IV on me. So they're like, well, where do you use that? Because at this point, they know I'm an addict. And I said, I know how to shoot in my neck. And so I, they, I wake up and I have like two IVs right here on my neck and I can't really move. I think I'm paralyzed. I think something happened during surgery. 
And um, so my current baby dad um, is there. He's like, oh, it's a boy. And like, we thought it was a girl. So not only am I hitting postpartum, but I'm also like, I thought I was having a little girl this whole time. So I'm like, I have another boy and like, I don't want any more kids at this point. So I'm like, I'm never going to have a little girl. So I became like Drew from the baby, like immediately. Um, so when he had to go to the NICU, there was no room at the NICU at the hospital I was at. So they had to move him to another hospital, which was 45 minutes across town. And I'm like, no, hell no. I'm like, this isn't happening. I need to be with my son. So I check out AMA, mind you, I had just had a C-section. Um, and within 24 hours, I was checking out of the hospital. And I had every intention to go to the other hospital where my baby was at. But again, my addiction was calling. And um, staples in my stomach and a heart full of heartache. Um, I go right back to the streets and um, go right back to boosting with my baby dad and um, end up, um, so the case turned over to his sister, the biological aunt. She's got custody of him and I'm just numb to anything and everything around me. Um, I catch another charge and I end up doing the longest stint I've ever done, which was 70 days um, between Jackson Pike here in Columbus, Ohio and Delaware County Jail. Now in this time, I start finding my faith again a little bit. Um, and, uh, I get out from Delaware County and, um, come back to Columbus, Ohio. And I find out that he has another girl who is five months pregnant in the same position I'm in. And so, um, I start using immediately. That was not the plan though. The plan was I was going to go to sober living and get my life together and get right but we couldn't reach the director at the time so I get dropped off and I'm using by that night by this point I have overdosed more times than I can count um on both hands and toes um but by the graces of God I was brought back every time the last time I overdosed um I was down and out for over 15 minutes um I should be brain dead according to the paramedics but I had not out of body experience at the same time. Um, I would look down and I saw everything that was happening. Um, but I had no pulse. I was gray and blue. Um, I wasn't I wasn't using fentanyl at the time, but um, my baby daddy uh, had left fentanyl. Um, I don't know if you are aware of like when you use IVs, they it's called cottons. Well. It's basically the residue that's left over from when you drop into the syringe. Okay. And yeah, so the residue is left there and um, somehow, and deep down in my heart, I, I think he knew what he was doing. Um, I was trying to justify in my head and rationalize in my addict mind that it was okay just to do meth. It was okay. Well, those fentanyl cottons got into my cooker and I got a taste of fentanyl again. And mind you, I had over 70 days clean at this point. And I, I dropped cold immediately. And um, he ends up calling, um, reaching out to one of the boyfriends I had and was like, I don't know how to say this, but she's gone. 
and I don't know how to tell our son that I, I watched his mother kill herself. And, um, long story short, I get Narcan. It doesn't work. I had built up a tolerance to Narcan at this point, which I didn't even know was possible, but, um, I come back and, uh, I lost my way with God for a very long time after that. I didn't see anything. I didn't have any spiritual awakening or anything like that. I felt very dark, very alone. I didn't think that there was a heaven or a hell for me. Um, but I know it was hell on earth for me. Yeah, it sounds um, like it. We're getting, we're getting closer to the end. So let's talk about your sobriety. Yes, the good part. <laughs> yes, the good part. So at what point did you get sober? So um, as of today, I'm 86 days clean. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Um, thank you. I'm working my program. Um, so I was arrested on July 7th, 2022 on a solicitation charge. And my sober date is my birthday, which is July 8th. So I spent my first birthday in county jail, but it's the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Um, I spent a week there. And after that week, um, you know, I went before the judge a second time and they're like, you know, um, you know, we have tried to get you into programs before and you always take off and da, 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 da. So the, the goal here was to get into a program, but they had to pick me up from the jail. And so I'm like, yes, okay, I'm fine with that. Just get me out of here. And so I get released to a program called Hope for Tomorrow. And uh, it has really changed my life. Um, so <laughs> hope for tomorrow has, has been a godsend. It really has. Um, like I said, I'm 86 days clean and I'm also on, um, so they are mat assisted, which is medical assisted treatment. And, um, I'm on Vivitrol. I don't know if you know what Vivitrol is. Isn't that the shot that blocks you from drinking? So it was originally meant for people who were alcoholics um, yeah. to help with the shaking and everything, but they came to find out, came, or they, it was discovered that it also is for opiates. So what it does is it's like your brain is all chaotic and everything, just how it's explained to me. Like your brain is like a party happening and normally like suboxone or whatever, it goes to this filter and these opiate receptors go through the filter and into your body and that's where you experience the high. If you're on suboxone, when it goes to that filter, it causes a precipitated withdrawal, which means you immediately start withdrawing until that suboxone is out of your system. So if you start withdrawing the first hour um, I believe Spoxin has a half-life of eight hours or six, yeah, eight hours. Um, so you're going to be withdrawn for up to eight hours. Um, but what, with Vivitrol, what it does is it closes that door and locks it shut. So those recept the opiate receptors can't get out and wreak havoc on the body. Now, a great thing happens when that happens. And I'm so glad I'm educated in this, um, when that door closes and those receptors can't get out, your brain starts to heal. If you know anything about the scientific side of it, you know, our, as an addict, our brains are wired differently. And the more and more you get into addiction, the more and more dysfunctional your brain becomes. And once you stop using, the minute you stop using is the minute your brain starts to heal. And that's what happened for me. So I had been a week sober by the time I get into this program on July 14th, 2022. And um, 
I, I immediately tell them I can't do methadone. I can't do Suboxone. I said, I relapse every time. I said, I want the Vivitrol shot. And I already know what it is by this point. Program is great. And they've got a lot of success stories on it. Um, my case manager, who is my, my role model and the person I looked, look up to, because if she can do it, anybody can do it. Um, she was on Vivitrol and still is to this day. And it became a game changer for me. Um, my brain is no longer craving opiates or alcohol. Um, I'm getting counseling that I need. I'm dealing with the trauma that happened in my life. And I'm slowly, slowly but surely mending those bridges that I once thought I would never have again. I'm talking to family again that I haven't talked to and I don't know how long. I'm becoming present in my youngest son's life again and my oldest one, Calvin. Um, I still talk with him. Um, unfortunately, Draven and Jace, their dad has not reached out to me at this point, but who knows what the future holds, but I'm accepting of that. Um, my program is the 12, is a 12 step program um, and AA founded. Um, so I have a sponsor and she is a rock star in her own. And she guides me through the steps. And anytime I have doubt or anything, any any emotion in between, she is right there beside me and uh, reminds me on a daily that, you know, we're going to have our ups and downs in life and things may seem hard, but it's only for the moment. And this too shall pass. You know, um, I journal a lot. And um, I think the thing that helped me the most was just reaching out um you know when you get sober um they tell you to find sober friends and sober supports and that is ultimately what has helped me through all of this um you know when I went to my first AA meeting um I got the big book and it had every a bunch of different phone numbers in it and stuff and anytime I felt down or like picking up and using again I was on the phone and there were times I was on the phone until like two, three in the morning talking to people like, hey, I don't know, you know, I've got doubt, you know, hey, I want to use, hey, I think I need a drink. And that's what those sober supports are for, is to help the next addict know that there are other people just like me out there, you know, um, that they're, that my story may reach someone and hear my story and be like, hey, you know, like I did with you know, my case manager and some of my sponsee family, like, if they can do it, I can do it. And that's ultimately what I'm hoping this does, is it reaches the next addict who suffers with the next alcoholic who's suffering, and know that it is possible, because it, life is 10% of how you react in nine, or sorry, 10% of what you make of it, and 90% of how you react, is the way I like to look at it. So, Life is going to happen. It's going to come at you full force, especially when you're in addiction and you're going to feel lost and alone. But all it takes is just this much willingness and this much hope to turn your life around. And that's exactly what I've done is turn my life around. And if I hadn't gotten into treatment, I don't know where I would be. And um, it really is a miracle that I'm sitting in front of you even doing this because I hate speaking. <laughs> But, um, and I was really nervous about telling my story, but, um, you know, oh, you're doing great. thank you. Um, I am spiritual. Um, you know, I have refound my faith with God. I'm actually getting baptized in two weeks. 
Congratulations. Uh, thank you. I am rededicating my life to Christ. Um, so that's for me personally. Um, just kind of washing all that sin off again and starting fresh. Um, and uh, that's my story. <laughs> that's an amazing story. Thank you. You've come a long way, sounds like. I have. But, you know, like I said, um, if I didn't have the people I have in my life as supports, I wouldn't be here right now. You can't, you cannot do it alone because, um, you know, as one of the first steps is admitting that you're powerless over drugs and alcohol. And I had to admit that I was powerless and that my life had become unmanageable. And it took me doing step one to realize, oh my God, I am really an alcoholic. I am really an alcoholic. Um, hold on one second. Sorry about that. Um, so, so um, admitting I was powerless over drugs and alcohol, that my life had become unmanageable. And then step two is we came to believe in a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And that's where the rooms of AA come in for me. Um, I believe in God. I'm very spiritual, but I had to believe in something bigger than myself. I had to clutch onto something that would bring me out of my darkness. And that was AA for me. And really focusing on me and letting myself heal and, and just reaching out to, to people. Um, telling on your disease is the first thing they tell you to do. Because the more you tell on it, the less power it has on you. So that's what I've been doing. And um, I've made it 86 days. I'm going strong. And um, I'm back in my son's life, like I said. Um, hopefully here in the next couple months, he'll be back with me full time. That is the ultimate goal. And a foster family and my program have me 100%. And they want nothing more than just being reunited with my children. So I'm really looking forward to it. Well, that's just great. I'm really excited for you. Thank you. All right. Well, sit tight for me for a moment. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Okay. And I just want to say that everybody watching and listening, I, like, I hope you like what you saw and heard today. If you do, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Tumblr. You can also check out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you will find plenty of free uh, resources as well as literature. And speaking of literature, we have a book coming out next month, which is Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. I will keep you updated as far as the exact release date and where you'll be able to find it. So I hope you enjoyed today and until next time.